Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This is found on page 977 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for or think according to the power at the work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kay. Well, good morning, Christ Community Brookside. My name is Dakota, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the Brookside campus, and it has just been a true, uh, full joy to get to be a pastor here for just over a year. Um, There's been a lot of good things about moving to Kansas City from California through Chicago down here, um, but being at this church with these people um, has been top amongst all of it. So, thank you. Um, If you were here last week, you had to listen to me speak, so you get to hear me again. Uh, But I'm not really sorry about that, because it's actually not about me. Um, We're here to listen to God's word, right? So, so to that end, let let me pray for us, and then we will get started, okay? Let's pray. Lord, God, we come before you um, today, um, thankful. God, we thank you for, um, God, your goodness and your love. God, the way that you have worked in the world, um, in your grand story of redemption that we have gotten to sing about this morning and experience in, in, in that way. And we just pray this morning that you would soften our hearts. God, that you would open up our minds. Um, help us to learn what you want us to learn and grow in the way that you want us to grow. God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us this church, family, community that we can um, gather together in and worship you with. Um, So lead us, God, we pray by your spirit. Um, Illuminate our hearts and our minds um, through your word. God, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you know me, you know that I love thinking about how science and art and faith all kind of intertwine and actually make each other fuller and deeper and more meaningful. And so, it's just a warning, if you let me, I will totally nerd out on you. Um, so if, this morning, if you'll indulge me, did you know that scientists recently discovered a new color. A new color. 
Researchers were developing new materials for electronics, and they were mixing different chemicals, yttrium, indium, manganese oxides, and then bam, this new blue color pigment. After 200 years, thinking that we knew all there was to know about the color blue. And scientists love this color. It's called yinmin blue, based on the, the chemicals, because it absorbs infrared radiation. So it actually helps keep things cool. And artists love it because it's beautiful, but also because it um, doesn't fade like other um, blues that were developed like in the 1800s. And it also fills a gap in the color spectrum. And who here knew there was a gap in the color spectrum? Who knew? So just when you thought that you knew all that there was to know, there's more. And with God, right, he's the father of all creation, there is always more. But sometimes we, actually usually, right, we need help from other people, like artists, like scientists, to help us engage the wonder and the awe that ought to come when we experience more and more of God this ever-expanding nature of God as he reveals himself. We need help to even begin to grasp all there is to know. And it's the same way with God's love. We think we know we're loved by God, right? We can repeat it back kind of in this intellectual ascent where we, we say, I know God loves me. The Bible says so. We think we know about God's love. But then as we go about our daily lives, we don't really believe it's inexhaustible most of the time. We don't really grasp the fullness of God's love when we feel like we've failed or we're just not going to survive this next struggle. We often think that we've reached the end of it, that it's finally run out. I think one of the most difficult feats in the universe, or the most, is for God to convince you that he loves you. For you to grasp and comprehend the vastness of his love for you. That's because my natural inclination is to do just the opposite. I think I have to convince God to love me. We instinctively think in this human achievement lens, we understand this performative love, earning love, doing the right things, trying our hardest to deserve love. But this often leaves us striving and frantic and fragile, trying to go after a love that's dependent on us, on our actions, on what we do. And this is not the love that God has for us. In fact, I'm not sure that this achievement love is even love at all. I think God's unearned, merciful, lavish, gracious love is so hard to grasp. All of us have gaps in our understanding of the full spectrum of God's love, and we need help to be God's beloved. So that's why we're in this series, going through this book of Ephesians called Reconstructing Faith. We want to hear 
God's word spoken through the Apostle Paul in order to deconstruct these false ways of loving and then reconstruct a better, fuller, bigger understanding of God's love. So we jump into our passage today. We're going to get to know a love that surpasses knowledge, but that can only happen if we first realize that we can't grasp God's love on our own. You cannot grasp Christ's love on your own. The three things we need in order to grasp it are the three things that Jesus gives us. We're going to read about them in this passage. God's spirit, God's people, and God's fullness. We're going to go over how Paul prays for those things. After three chapters of kind of diving deep into this theological plan that God has for all people from the beginning of time and culminating in this one new diverse family called the church, Paul then dives into this beautiful threefold prayer for this church in Ephesus. And prayer at the base of it is an acknowledgement, a declaration of our need. This is what that old word petition points to, right? When we have a need, we make a petition. And we make that petition to one that we think we believe is able to meet that need. And so Paul petitions the Father on his knees, begging for these needs for this church to be met by the one who made and sustains everything and everyone. So he opens his prayer with this kind of grand, cosmic, universe-wide vision that we read about last week. So read with me in verses 14 and 15. Here's where he opens up. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul's prayer then goes on to become three petitions that acknowledge our need, that move in three directions that inform our purpose. So three petitions with three directions. We are strengthened by God's Spirit to welcome Christ's life prays that we, are, we would be strengthened by God's people to know Christ's love. He prays that we'd be filled with God's fullness to glorify God forever. So Paul's first petition for the Ephesians is to begin grasping Christ's love by being strengthened by God's spirit to welcome Christ's life. We need to be strengthened by God's spirit Right? If Christ's divine life is going to come into us and become manifest in our earthly life, listen to what Paul prays for in verse 16. He says, That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What Paul is doing here is he's actually redefining what strength is. He's using common language for strength, but he's using it in a totally different way. It's kind of like how I just reused the word manifest to talk about how the Spirit is working on our behalf now, rather than how it's commonly used these days, which is a form of kind of quasi-modern magic to convince the universe to do good things, right? Manifest something. 
we are not becoming strong on our own. With our own strength, we are being strengthened. But for what? It's to welcome Christ, right? To be open to Christ as he takes up residence in our hearts, in our inner being. It's a passive idea to be strengthened. This points again, right, to need, not to self-sufficiency. This is strength that comes from someone else, from God's spirit. It's strength not to achieve, but to receive. To receive Christ as a permanent guest, to have a hospitable heart to Christ. But why do we need the Spirit's power to do this? It's because it involves a transformation at the very core of our being. We need to become new people. Because believe it or not, our hearts, I know my heart, is not naturally hospitable. Definitely not to Jesus. As we grow up, we tend to operate more and more with this posture of performing and achieving and earning instead of receiving and welcoming and being dependent. Babies have no problem being dependent. That's like their whole gig. But then really quickly, as soon as they can manage it, toddlers love to assert their independence, even if they're nowhere near ready for it, right? Like my one-year-old, he demands to hold the toothbrush. He has to hold the toothbrush, even though he has about as much dexterity as a dog trying to brush its teeth. And so I try to help him, and then immediately he is just screaming and wailing and flailing. And then daddy really quickly goes full Gandalf, I'm not trying to harm you. I'm trying to help you. And then as we get older, our deteriorating bodies and minds lead us again to this kind of dependence that's at the core of us. And our hearts don't naturally want to admit this. There's this basic need I think that's the core reason we frantically submit ourselves to the grind and the daily beating of this achievement lens because we don't want to see the reality of what's there. There's this lack of control and utter dependence for our every breath and everything, and frankly, it is terrifying to admit, and so we avoid it. We pretend to be independent, to have control, to create our own good life. We try to fill in the hole with success and wealth and relationships and addictions. Or we just numb out by watching the two-minute Rings of Power previews over and over and over and over because Friday just won't come soon enough. It's at the deepest level we have to admit that we need Christ. Listen to what the fourth century Church Father Augustine wrote in his confessions, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. When we confess this, when we agree with the truth about reality as God has made it, 
that we are utterly dependent on Christ who made us and sustained us and died for us. When we confess, he is already there, ready to make us new people and to give us his spirit, to empower us to become these hospitable receivers of Christ rather than restless achievers. This confession is the, is the first, and it's an ongoing sign of active faith. It's a sign of a real, vibrant faith. So the strengthening of our inner being makes a place for Christ in our heart to dwell there by faith. He lives there. He makes his home there. And what's it like when Jesus comes and lives in your heart? It's a life indwelled by Christ, and that means it's rooted and grounded in love. That's where Paul goes next. God loves you. God loves you. All of you, right? Plural, all of us, but also each one of you. God loves you more than you can grasp. You have been rooted and grounded in God's love since before you were born. Your whole life is built on the foundation of God's eternal plan to give you new life in him. I got an image for this rooted and grounded idea from Stan Archie, pastor of our sister church in Christian Fellowship down the streets, and he used an image from human development. Before we're born, we're loved. We're actively being loved, literally, right? Physiologically rooted in our mother's womb through her placenta by the umbilical cord, her oxygenated blood, her lungs filled by her diaphragm, and her organs all moved aside, all to make space for the growing fullness of this little life. But you can't even understand or grasp or even begin to make sense of this until years and years later, right? When you get to look back and just think about everything it took for you just to exist, just to be a human in the world. Do you know how much God loves you? We need the Spirit to help us understand this. We need to be strengthened by the Spirit to be aware of how Christ has worked in our lives, how he has been working and how he has loved us through it all. So what Paul, this is what he has been at pains to communicate in the book of Ephesians so far, right? Look at how much God has done, with, done, done for you, done for his people, done to bring you into his family, the church. Paul knows that this kind of love cannot be grasped on our own. And we need more help with it. Alongside being strengthened by God's Spirit, Paul also prays for the Ephesians to be strengthened by God's people to know Christ's love. Be strengthened by God's people to know Christ's love. Read with me verses 17 to 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge. This is strength, again, right? Paul prays for this strength. But instead of praying for Christ's life to dwell, he now asks for the strength to know, to know Christ's love. And know here is not like a logical left brain head knowledge kind of understanding. It is more of the Hebrew idea of knowing. This is relational knowing. It's only in relationships with others that we begin to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know a love that is beyond knowing fully. It's ongoing. It's forever. You never reach the end of it. You never stop learning more about it. And the second you think that you know it, you'll learn more. It's like the color blue, the cosmos. You never fully exhaust knowing even the person in front of you, right, or yourself. So neuroscientist Jim Wilder, he's also a theologian, is something of an expert when it comes to this idea of knowing the love of Christ in relationship with others. He co-wrote a book with Mitchell Hendricks called The Other Half of Church, and they write about this idea, um, the Hebrew idea of hesed, and in Greek it's agape, which is love in our passage, right? They call it the relational glue that holds a community together, that binds them together. And they map this biblical idea of hesed onto the current neuroscience research about attachment. Our hesed attachment with one another in the church is intertwined and integrated with our hesed attachment to God. So listen to what they say. They say our loving attachments to our Father, Jesus, and each other give us the clearest experience of the unseen God. We show our love for God by loving each other, and we demonstrate that we love each other by loving God. Hesed, for God and for other, each other is forever intertwined, and it cannot be separated. I know Christ's love more deeply when I see someone else overflowing with his love. It's what it means to have strength to comprehend. Comprehend is word used elsewhere for like overtaking, for grabbing, for grasping. It's a metaphor. We have strength to grasp more of Christ's ultimately ungraspable love. And we do this with all the saints. With all of the saints, he says. We see more and more of the dimensions of God's love as we see it reflected in the unity between brothers and sisters in Christ. In my first year in seminary, I met every week with a group of 11 other new students. And since we were all at this new school, starting new programs, we had a lot in common. But then as we spent that first semester um, receiving each other's stories, sharing our struggles, our histories, our lives, it became clear that we actually all came to that table from a very different place. And then when it came time for me to share, that soil of attachment had already formed and trust had already been established, so I felt secure enough to share some of the darkest moments of my story. The parts that make me feel the weakest, 
that make me feel the most shame, that make me feel the most pain, to recall the most fear of rejection. And then one of the others, a guy who came from a very different cultural and family background, he told me something that has given me such assurance in the power of Christ's love in my life. He told me healed people heal people. Healed people heal people. And knowing his story, knowing everything that he went through, and knowing that he knew the nitty-gritty details of my own life and heart, it meant the world to me. And it still does. Because when Christ's love breaks into our hearts and our lives, and we lean into these loving attachments with others in the church, it's when Christ's love is unleashed to overflow into others through our relationships. So we specifically need the church. And it's especially those who are different from me who are most able to help me expand my grasp of Christ's love that has no end. So know and be known in this church. We need each other. This is how we begin to grasp together this ungraspable love of Christ, to get our arms around the infinite dimensions of God's love. We must be with God's people from all backgrounds and all different stages as often as we can. And you'll begin to grasp just how wide and deep is Christ's love because you have known it. You've seen it reflected in your relationships. You've actually experienced it, not just through your own life and lens, but through others. And as we experience this overflowing love in our relationships from Christ, we become filled in order to fulfill our ultimate purpose as God's people, which is to glorify God forever. So that's why Paul moves on to pray for the Ephesians to be filled with God's fullness to glorify God forever. Let me again, verse 19. This is how he ends. He says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Paul's prayer back in chapter 1 ended with this kind of grand cosmic vision of Christ's fullness filling the earth through his body, the church. And now Paul is praying for us experientially, personally, to be filled with that same fullness. When we experience Christ's love, this energizes us to keep on going. It fills us up. We're a body that was built to run on the fuel of love together. It's a much more sustainable fuel than hate or fear or domination or withdrawal because this love is what we were made for at the core of our being. When we're filled like this, we get to watch God's glory break through. And so Paul just can't help himself and he finishes this prayer 
like this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we get a taste of the church's overflowing love, we participate more fully in bringing God glory. When we are a community that's formed and transformed by these Hesed attachments, we become filled to fulfill our mission. We're formed in community, and we are filled for mission. And our mission is worship. An all-encompassing, Monday-embracing, love, grasping, weakness-sharing, spirit-empowered worship to the glory of God so that the earth would be filled with God's fullness as we take it there. So after this chapter, Paul transitions from these deep cosmic theological truths into a more applied kind of practical fleshing out in chapters four through six. So next week, that's where we're going to go. How does this mission to glorify God play out in real life? However, we're going to be going, right? We're going to be going a little bit out of order um, because we have a guest preaching next week on the implications of Ephesians 4, 28, which is a, going to be a later sermon, but we're moving it up to next week. Um, so just if you're following along with this Form Life journal, um, you'll need to use this physical journal to go to week nine, and then we'll get back on schedule after that. Okay, so Paul ends in worship. He essentially concludes, we are filled full, but there's always more God can do. There's always more ways he can be glorified, right? More love to grasp, more power in God's spirit, more ways for God's glory to be displayed in Christ, in the church. So pray for more. This is who God is. He is a God of overflowing love. That's his nature, his essence. And it's this overflowing, never-ending, ungraspable love that empowers the church to be the church in the world. He is what we need. He is who we need to be filled with the fullness for which he created us and redeemed us and sent us into the world to declare and display his glory in our lives and in our relationships. So to end our time today, I actually want to give us the time to reflect and respond to God's word as we've heard. And for further inspiration about this, I actually want to tell you about another way that I have been nerding out recently about science, art, and faith. I love planets and space and stars and constellations and all of that. So recently I've been really I'm marveling at these images that are coming out from the James Webb Telescope, right? These are beautiful. And what, Jay, what the Webb Telescope is doing is amazing because it's taking these images in infrared and other wavelengths that we actually, we physically can't see. And then Webb's team develops these photos into the visible spectrum. So what this does is it opens up whole ranges of the universe that were previously literally imperceptible, invisible, and ungraspable. 
beyond our ability to see or experience. And on top of that, recently the team's been doing this processing, taking images from deep space, turning them into visible images, but then they actually have been overlapping each data point, which corresponds to some thing in the universe, some star or dust particle or something. They've been overlapping it with a musical note. So that it becomes a song, a kind of metallic-sounding, metallic hauntingly beautiful song that can be heard and listened to and experienced in a way that's different, that adds to our experience of kind of experience the fullness of the beauty of the universe. One of the collaborators working on this project is Matt Russo. He's a musician and a physicist. <clears throat> and he said this, music taps into our emotional centers. Our goal is to make web's images and data understandable through sound, helping listeners to create their own mental images. So we want to do the same thing today, but not with space, right, but with God's love, our mental, emotional, and spiritual experience of his vast love. And this, I think, will lead us together to be filled with Christ's love and so glorify God in the world. For we need our hearts to be opened up to God, um, to his love for us. So we're going to take that time here in two ways. We're going to give the Spirit space in a time of quiet reflection, and then we're going to respond together in song to encourage one another through worship. So first we're going to listen to, actually before we go into this reflection, we're going to open it up by listening to one of those sonifications. This is the image turned into sound from Webb's telescope. And I'm going to read a few passages from Scripture um, that will paint a picture for us of God's glorious and expansive love. So how this is going to go is as you hear these verses read over you, feel free to close your eyes. And imagine Jesus' face, who is the image, perfect image of the invisible God, and who out of his eternal relational joy with the Trinity created everything that is to glorify God, including you. So this is going to lead us into that time of worship where we'll respond to God's song of creation and redemption through the cross. And after that, we will do communion together. Okay? So pause. Pause here. Relax yourself as you can in your seat. Take a deep breath in and out. And feel free simply to close your eyes as you listen, but you could also journal if you want to think about how your heart's receiving what you've heard. For you creative types, you could feel free to do some sketching or write out some lines of poetry, but however you feel the Spirit leading you to respond. So let's listen here and then we'll respond with reflection. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful human beings, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So take a minute now to sit quietly, reflect, pray if you want to, write in your journal whatever you need and then we'll get together and sing and just when we respond in song, feel free to respond however you feel led if you want to stay sitting in your seat if you want to stand up, if you want to raise your voice if you want to raise your hands, respond how you feel led and we'll come back together and do communion after that